Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Some of what you're about to hear may be deemed offensive to some people. Please do not be offended. We're just trying to entertain. Some of the content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Very welcome to uh, Lock In uh, Football Show Special this week. And as we said, we bring the, the forces together every so often. And I think with everything that's happened in the soccer world for the last, oh, maybe three to four weeks, and of course, what's ahead of us when it comes to the World Cup in Qatar, there's an awful lot to talk about, including, I suppose, uh, a little bit of music along the way. And we hope to be joined with Brian Quigley from Dublin later on in the show. Uh, Luke, how are you doing? I'm all right, Tom. How are you? A big thank you to Jim Madden for coming all the way from Shannon tonight. This is the first time Jim has been with us, I think, since COVID, possibly, in the studio. Jim, pleasure to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. And Jim, you look. I was saying to you earlier on, you're looking so very, very well. Well, it must be all the clean living and good food I'm eating. Well, yeah. Very balanced yeah. diet. There's an awful lot to talk about <laughs> and as usual we try and start at, um, the, at, at a certain point and work our way up to the international stage then cross channel and we'll talk a little bit about the World Cup. Um, local soccer Jim you are the expert in that field you've been the uh, chairman of Clare Football for, for many years and you've taken the mantle on of PRO and you're back for another season of ups and downs and twists and turns in the road. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, I I'm very committed to Clare Soccer. Uh, I've seen it uh, prosper, seen it go down a little bit. There is no doubt that uh, it's taken a bit of time to recover from COVID, and I think that uh, the stoppage of nearly two years has affected clubs, has affected the players as well, because a lot of the guys that were maybe approaching the end of their careers have stopped playing or aren't prepared to play at the top level anymore, maybe prepared to play with B teams or in the second and third division. However, at the top in our Premier League, uh, Newmarket Celtic, which is now managed by Pat Purcell, who played League of Ireland with uh, Limerick and uh, for a long number of years, I think he was with one of the other clubs as well, and has been a number of years with Newmarket as well, a very, very good manager, a very likeable man, has uh, restructured uh, Newmarket quite a bit. A number of the players um, had come near the end of their career. He has brought in some young players as well. And uh, it looks to be the team that everybody is going to have to beat in the Clare League. They are also, this in the next week or two, playing in the third round of the FAI Junior Cup, where they're playing Shannon Town. That will be a bit of a test, but I'd imagine that uh, Newmarket will be favourites to win that. The other semi-final, or the other two teams in Clare that are in the FAI Junior Cup third round are Lifford and uh, Avenue United. There'll be a great rivalry there next Sunday when they play one another on the 30th of October at uh, Lifford's ground. 
uh, they are the only team that has beaten Avenue so far this season and they had a very very good win yesterday against Bridge United by two goals to one they look to me to be a very physical side I'm told that they're training very well as well and I, I like to know to win soccer games at the top level in junior and in any other level I think your team has to be really not alone fit but physically able to stand the challenges as well Would you think that the Clare Premier League now is divided into kind of two particular segments you've got the upper half and the lower half which can often happen in many leagues because I've lucky enough I saw Lifford play Mount Shannon in the first game of the season I was very impressed with Lifford they seem to have got quite a few players from other teams in Ennis at the beginning of the season or would I be wrong uh, no you'd be right there the the big problem uh, in uh, Ennis has been the demise for a for want of a better word of Ennis Town. Ennis Town got to the Munster under 19 final last year and for some reason the club seems to have disintegrated a bit. A number of their players have gone to Newmarket um, and they are making an impact there and a number of their players would have stayed in, t- in Ennis as well at Lifford. Uh, Lifford have a squad of about 22. They're training well. Uh, Avenue as well would have picked up a couple of players but maybe not quite as many. Um, Avenue got to the uh, f- fifth or sixth round of the FAI last year. They were beaten by one of the Dublin teams. They had a very good run in the FAI and David Russell, the manager, is hoping that they could repeat that this year. Um, they look to me to be just a little bit off the pace, but as we all know, it won't take too long to get to back to that once they stick together. And they have a couple of very good players indeed and they have a very... A powerful centre half in a player called Dylan Casey, who was a pro at Leicester for a couple of years, was in the lower division as well. And uh, he was a little bit out of sorts for a season or two when he came back. But in the last year, he seems to really have got himself very fit and a very impressive player indeed. They have a couple of other young players as well, Roaches and that. And they are very, very good. And they have a, a player from Ennis Town called Kuntz. And he is a very, very serious goal scorer as well. So they will be a threat. But the the problem is they have to play Lifford, as I said, in the third round. And uh, there's two teams that you'd feel uh, it's a pity to lose either of them at this early stage. And the same could be said as well, because Shannon Town are working very hard to rebuild their team as well. But I would feel that they're a little bit short and you'd imagine that Newmarket should win that. And as well, I suppose with every club, there's a there's a there's a period of time where influential people decide enough is enough, and whether it's a player or whether it's in management, and all of a sudden they decide that's it, and there's no one there to take on the role at that particular club. Do you reckon that's probably one of the things that's happened with Ennis Town? Um, probably, I I don't know the full extent of what happened because we weren't aware of it until this they, just before the season started that they weren't going to have a team in the Premier League, and as a result, uh, we only have nine teams. Now, of the nine teams that are there, as I said, Newmarket would in my book be probably number one, uh, Avenue number two, Lifford, uh, maybe Bridge United, and after that, then there is a gap of there is no doubt. Uh, I'm delighted, though, to see teams like Tulla have been promoted to the Premier League this year and the work that that club has done deserves to get a chance in the Premier League. Cool uh, uh, from Gart have got a, are in the Premier League as well. They again are a club with a lot of work done at underage level and I'd like to see them get an extended run in the Premier League to see how they do after a season or two. And then the third team that was promoted is um, Kilrush Rangers and... 
they again are putting in a lot of work. Michael Clare, their manager, is a very good friend of mine, and he's a man that has serious ideas about how a club should be run, how it should be structured, and as he said, it's going to take a little bit of time. But you'd hope as well that they would uh, continue to stay in the Premier League for at least another year, because I think one year in the Premier isn't enough to get yourself organised. It's funny you say that. The one team that you haven't mentioned so far in the Premier League is Mount Shannon Celtic who I am a part of. And uh, like you said, there's, as, how would you say, there's two kind of uh, sides to every story and Mount Shannon are struggling badly this season. We've had a few uh, unmerciful record-breaking, um, how would you say, defeats because the squad was basically decimated through um, players, let's say, choosing hurling for, for various different times that would have clashed. And also a very, very young group of players that would have come through the 17s that put that, that have no experience in the Premier League and um, yeah last weekend they played Newmarket with probably their best side to date players have returned and a player that you know quite well has returned after many years of absence Jason Horn has returned to the Mount Shannon goals and he had an outstanding game against Newmarket because it was 2-0 to Newmarket I think at half time Mount Shannon brought it back to 2-1 and made a real game of it for about 20 minutes and then fitness told and Newmarket ran out 3-1 winners but um, speaking of players going places <coughs> uh, Mount Shannon's main striker last season would have been William Glass and he went to Janesborough and he's uh, scoring goals for fun for Janesborough I believe a couple of, of, of um, doubles there recently. He did, yeah. And uh, Guy Vigors, another player that went to Janesborough, and they lost their, Mount Shannon lost their goalkeeper as well. So there's three very influential players that go from a team, and then all of a sudden you're left lacking big time. And Mount Shannon are, are very much in danger of being relegated this season. Is it just one that goes straight down and then a playoff, or is it two well, go straight down? It, this is a subject to discussion, and there has <laughs> been a little bit of whatever where I'm concerned. My own attitude is, and I probably a bit maybe well, uh, I feel that with nine teams, uh, and if we want to bring it back to ten uh, for next season, one team should be relegated and two promoted. Now, the big problem we have is, uh, I know that at the minute, accordingly, that's, well, we're not halfway through the season yet, so Mount Shannon have, can make up ground. Sure. Uh, they won't have to make up too much to move out of the bottom anyway. So, um, the the big problem then is, how do we, who do we promote? Now, the problem for us in the first division over the last number of years has been until last season was that it was always B teams were winning it. Now, Market Celtic were farming it for a good number of years with their B team. Their B team couldn't be promoted. Uh, Avenue B were very strong as well. And uh, then you had uh, Shannon Town uh, B as well. So this year, it looks like Shannon Town are the pace setters there. Um, but we do have a couple of clubs that are capable uh, I watched Mohor Celtic yesterday in uh, the afternoon and they beat Shannon Olympic by five goals to three. They have a couple of very, very good players and there was a young fella called Hines there. He's just out of youth. He's uh, a couple of days too old to play youth again and he scored a hat-trick. Very, very pacey, good with the ball and uh, has a bit of uh, effort about him. They also had a couple of other lads that are youth players and uh, they stood the challenge of an Olympic side that are quite experienced and have been around the block. Uh, they, it would be nice to see them 
if they could keep that team together to maybe get into a promotional slot as well. I think their guys would love to be in the Premier, the same as uh, Tulla and Cool and Kilrush have. Um, so basically, my proposal would be that we just relegate one team, and that's unfortunately whoever is going to be at the bottom and promote two. Uh, I would uh, be again inclined to say that not to promote a team from the first division that is more than three places from the top. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely, especially with with, with strength, yeah. and it, you've seen yeah. it before. As I say, yeah. when a team that's been fifth or sixth has gone up, they've gone straight back down. Yeah. Like Jim, is the issue sort of with the second teams? Um, that maybe they shouldn't be in the first division. Maybe uh, they should be in the second. Uh, and, and, and put the clubs that have just one team into a bigger league. Um, I uh, Theoretically, uh, that would be the, the thing. Uh, well, what has been spoken about but hasn't got much traction yet in Clare is to have a reserve team league. That would mean that the players are available to their A-team uh, you know, without having to worry about transfers and all of that stuff. We do have rules here that uh, a player with the B team can only play four or five games with his A team Correct, before he yeah. has to transfer up. But it does mean that it's very difficult for a player from the A team to tra- move down to the B team, say if he's recovering from injury or yeah. anything like that. So uh, there is a need for to have a reserve team league and uh, there hasn't been a lot of uh, support for that when it has been put to the clubs. Yeah. I'm just looking at, we'll say, the, you know, the, the league structure there at the minute. And I said, you can correct me now if I'm wrong, but just looking at the numbers. There's 10 teams currently in the first division. There is, yeah. Okay. And there's, um, in the second division, you have, uh, you have nine teams. Is that correct? That'd be correct. And yeah. then you have seven in the third. The third. Right. Well, we had a number of clubs drop out. Yeah. No, and then you have a number of second clubs as well like that. And yeah. I, I think probably um, what might be the ailment, uh, I use the word ailment, we'll say, for Mount Shannon, what mightn't have helped, and we'll say the more rural clubs, is that with the change in the GAA calendar, that hurling and football, we'll say, those for the club players are now coming to a close, we'll say, in around now. And yeah. so, some players, um, you know, we'll say, if their teams were sort of knocked out or didn't... Um, you know, progress or whatever like that. They'd probably be coming back available to teams now. But it would say with the GEA season being shortened, I think that probably affects the rural areas more because the chances are that the lads that are playing for a club in the likes of Mount Shannon or stuff like that are probably heavily involved in the gas side of things as well, whereas you don't have that issue as much. I'm sure it does exist to a certain extent, but it's not as big with some of the the other clubs. Like Newmarket, I'm I'm sure, we say just because of the numbers that they have, any of the, we say maybe the Shannon teams, uh, anywhere where there's population, they wouldn't suffer as much with that issue. Or am I wrong? No, uh, you you are right. And... um you will find that the top teams in the in Clare, Newmarket Avenue, Lifford, the Bridge, uh, Tulla, and um, the, a couple of the other ones as well, have put a lot of work into their facilities as well. And I think that has given them a bit of a base as well to work on. The teams that I find that are having difficulty are the ones that really don't have a base and we still have too many teams in my book playing their soccer out of say Lees Road and that kind of thing which is the council facilities which has been an Ennis problem yes. for a long time and uh, you have teams then from outside of Ennis moving in to play there you have uh, Ryan Rovers from Quinn you have teams from um, 
And that's probably down to the fact that they can't get pitches, is it? It is, yeah. Yeah, have pitches and it's it's a matter as well of where you find. My own opinion is that a lot of clubs allowed the 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 real time of when there was uh, resources available that they didn't commit to it. Yeah. And as we all know, it's very easy if you know that you can just turn up at Lee's Road of a Sunday and play a game and know that you have no responsibility for cutting the grass or Absolutely. <coughs> doing the maintenance. Yep. Uh, I used to do that up until recently at Shannon Olympic and I could tell you that takes time. Yeah, Cutting the grass, bringing in uh, contractors to put sand on it and put weed killer and put verti drain it and all of that. Uh, because pitches have to be done on a regular basis if they're getting that kind of work. Tulla do it, Newmarket do it, Avenue do it, uh, Shannon Town do it. So basically, you have to have, in my opinion, a base today. Remember, teams today, our players today at, at every code are becoming very demanding. They want the facilities to be right. Yeah, and that's not hard to argue against. No, it's not. You know, and, and I think one thing you'd have to credit the GEA with is yes. the investment that they've put into facilities. Now, there are some clubs in Clare as well. We said Tulla is the shining light, I think we'll say, certainly in East Clare and probably for a lot of Clare. But like that didn't happen just today nor yesterday. And, you know, I, I don't know if all the issues with the FAI down through the years, you could sort of argue, have from on high, have they invested enough in sort of smaller clubs? But I suppose they haven't had the money in, in general. I, I just read today that Umbro are no longer going to be sponsoring the, the, the national team. So they're on the lookout for a new sponsor there. And sure, we'll, we'll get into talking about the national team and lack of sponsorship and yes. general bits and pieces there. But um, do, do you think that... Um, we say, where where do you think we're going in the next few years with soccer and Clare? Um, now that's the sixty four thousand dollar question. Really, um, there is no doubt that I, I can see a lot of good young players coming through at some of the clubs. Uh, we have a fairly talented uh, youth squad. Uh, this coming Saturday, we play Limerick in the first round of the interleague um, FAI, and then we play Galway in the second round. However, what I find is sad, we're putting a good bit of effort in, uh, in Clare, and uh, a lot of work, training and all of that. Unfortunately, only nine leagues in the country have entered teams in that competition, which I think is very, very important. Now, the other clubs, leagues are quoting well. The League of Ireland clubs are expected now to have, or have teams at under 15, 17, 19, and that kind of thing, and that they are getting... Um, subsidy from the FAI through UEFA because of this development thing. The problem as well is that the FAI currently as it's structured, um, they appear to me to be very focused on the League of Ireland and they're, for instance, the junior... Slightly ironic. (coughs) There is very little happening, say for instance, the the competition that we all enjoyed over the years was the Oscar Trainer, which was the interleague for the adult section and Clare won that three times twice in a row and then once when it was back some years ago when in my opinion, very hard to win but anyway um, that hasn't been supported by the new regime in the FAI and there is no doubt that I think that there is talk in the FAI of having a third level uh, in football that maybe they'll try and encourage the top 
or the more progressive junior clubs to get involved in that. But they will definitely have to be subsidised a bit somewhere because there's a lot of travelling involved and we all know that the cost of travelling has become an issue now. Um, Do you think so this would be something akin to, at a way smaller level, the Super League that was being proposed, would say, for you know the, the big clubs in Europe? And that's it. Is this something where you'd say the likes of maybe Avenue, Newmarket would be fielding a team in a competition maybe and then their B team might be the, the team in the in the Clare League? Well, in, in some of the leagues and in, in the UK, particularly the one that probably I'm the more uh, familiar with, is that they have a, a league sec down there from all of the football, the non-league end of it. And that's quite strong at the moment as well. Uh, they, they call it the, I'm trying to remember what it's called now. Um, and in Scotland as well, they have it. It's a kind of a semi-professional lead to a large extent the conference they yeah. called it and a lot of the, the clubs uh, that are in that are extremely well organised and competitive uh, and that's where you have to be now recently the manager of one of the second division clubs in England who has signed League of Ireland players reckoned that our players despite the fact that we think that some of the League of Ireland players or that the majority of them are quite capable of playing at the professional level he reckons they need a good bit of work before they're ready for that. Uh, now, you will always get exceptional guys like Seamus Coleman was, who was transferred from Sligo all them years ago and is now the longest-serving uh, Premier League player, I think. At, well, he's the longest-serving at Everton. Mm. And uh, he's had a hell of a long career in England. I think he's 14 or 15 years. Um, now, it'll be very interesting to see what he will do. Uh, he's now 34. A very committed guy, I'm told. But... Um, you don't have players seeming to have to put in the work. Like, for instance, recently we had a guy from Shamrock Rovers who went to one of the clubs in England and he, he was head and shoulders above some of what we there was here. And yet it has taken him a good while to get um, a grip on the game at professional level, even though Shamrock Rovers would be a professional team and he would have been full-time. But the game lacks that kind of competitive edge the bit of rootlessness maybe that's needed to be at the top level. And of course, we've seen over the last number of years how many players have come back from England that promised a lot. Uh, you have Burn at Shamrock Rovers, isn't it, Burn? Yeah. That's right. Who went to Cyprus there with Mick and didn't really make the grade out there either. Uh, but he's making a very good living at Shamrock Rovers. You have a fellow called Burke at Shamrock Rovers. Uh, you have one or two other players there as well and then you have the Clare guy that's at St Pat's he's on loan from Shamrock Rovers he didn't allow, wasn't allowed to play the other evening uh, I can't think of his name he was at Ipswich for a good number of years and he's very very um, just shows you he wasn't able to cut the mustard in the UK at, at a full time level at the level there at the lower divisions but he's starring here in the League of Ireland and then there's a guy another lad at Shamrock or at St Pat's Forrest who was a very, very good player, looked a very good prospect, and really, when he came to League of Ireland, it took him a little while to settle in, but he is playing very well at the moment. Okay, if you're going to compare Clare teams, Limerick teams, uh, you know, there's always been a question where players might be attracted to the Limerick side of things because, uh, be it, we'll say, with Limerick, uh, Limerick City, Treaty, Treaty, whatever they're called, you know, Limerick FC, Limerick United, and we'll say the, I suppose, the Desmond has always had a strong enough tradition, um, we'll say, 
been maybe a little bit more competitive. Uh, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Now, Jim will say then what will say Clare would be perceived as. Is that still an issue, or it it is uh, to a large extent, or, or to some extent, <coughs> not um, as much as we some years ago, maybe. Uh, the top player in Limerick at the moment, in my book, and last season and the season before, has been Stephen McGann, who is ex Avenue. He's at Pike Rovers. Uh, there was a big tug of war to try and get him to move to Ashling and Akati this year. I gather he's on uh, money that some of the League of Ireland players would be quite happy to get. Uh, there is also a couple of other players. There's a number of goalkeepers in Clare, or Clare goalkeepers in Limerick. Uh, Rob Shire is at Regional. He's been there for a good few years. Uh, John Mulready is in with Ashling Anacotti as well now. I don't know whether John is a bit injured at the moment. Uh, the captain of Treaty is uh, Jack Lynch, who would have played his early football in Shannon. Yes. Now, he's a very talented guy as well. Has no real interest in going across channel or anything like that because he's a very highly qualified guy as uh, with one of the big um, pharmaceutical or medical device companies extremely well paid um, the only thing about him is that there's a chance he might go to Australia because I gather he's looking at that but that's purely from a lifestyle point of view um, his sister recently went to uh, Australia or New Zealand she's a doctor uh, she felt that she couldn't stick the system here anymore she qualified and worked a year or two in Galway and then went. And she finds that New Zealand is a whole different kettle of fish. Well, there you go. Uh, Jim always has a different insight into what we read in the papers. He always has the know. You see the background, the sisters and what's happening there. And we're going to bring uh, Brian Quigley in now from Dublin. And Brian is our correspondent when it comes to League of Ireland, uh, international and all things bizarre and interesting. That's the best way I could describe it. He's a journalist. He is a Bray Wanderers, um, I would say, disciple from a fan point of view. And as I said, between Jim and himself, we have quite a grip on what's happening both local, um, national and international wise. Brian, good evening and welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jim. Hi. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Listen, Brian, uh, we're going to get straight into things. Um, Luke here has just after given us a bit of breaking news because this is a, a, a pre-recording. This will be going out on Saturday this weekend. And um, we believe that Shamrock Rovers are champions. So we have to, from forward, we have to go kind of go backwards a little bit over the last few weeks and uh, since the last time we were speaking. But uh, were these champions? Absolutely. I think... Um They've won the, the title with a game or two to spare, um, and they won it tonight by not even kicking a ball because uh, Derry City, who were uh, their immediate challengers, um, failed to win uh, in Sligo, so that meant that uh, Rovers now can't be caught. And they've they've won the title despite, uh, or, or as well as having... Um, and are continuing to be involved in Europe in the, the Europa Conference League uh, group stages. So for the last uh, month, six weeks, they've been playing in Europe in addition to their league games, and um, they've they've kind of just took it all in their strides. Um, very much the standard setters in, in Ireland in terms of um, how a club should be run, how a club should be organised and financed. Um, very wise and how they've left a the manager there, Stephen Bradley there in place for 
uh, a number of years to allow him to, to build up the team. Um, just a, an example um, of how a club is, is run properly and um, really have set the standard. Um, a fan-owned club too, so uh, I suppose when Dundalk were the, the best team in the league um, a few years back, they were taken over by an American crowd. Um, they, you know, the money didn't get reinvested back into the stadium and the club when they were involved in Europe. Um, whereas with, with Rovers, you're seeing the opposite. They're a strong, solid club from, from the bottom up. The fans, the underage teams, um, fabulous stadium in, in Tala. Um, and doing themselves proud and us proud in the games uh, that are on television in the in the Conference League. Um, so very worthy champions. I'm going to bring Jim Madden in here now because Jim was listening to um, a rival station and news talk at the same level. You never know, you never know. Um, but Johnny Howard was was speaking, uh, I think, uh, about Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk and various things. But uh, Jim sent in a, a bit of a tweet or a text into the lads anyway in disagreement with one of the one or two of the things that Johnny Howard was was uh, speaking about. I'm going to bring Jim in here now, just in relation to Shamrock Rovers and Bo- and what you got it and Dundalk. Uh, <coughs> Well, I mean, there's no doubt that Shamrock Rovers is an incredibly well-run club and uh, Stephen Bradley has done a fantastic job and, of course, they have uh, underage teams right down through the ranks now as well. So they are bringing through some very good young players. Uh, what Tom was saying there is, it was Johnny Ward, actually, that uh, uh, made the comment that uh, he was surprised that uh, Rovers didn't feel as strong a side as they were capable of in the last game against the Norwegian team. But basically, they with uh, Derry at that time breathing down their neck, winning the League of Ireland was by far the most important thing because it does guarantee them uh, to be in the in Europe again next season. And of course, for a cl- any club, in, no matter where they are, whether they're in the UK, Scotland, whatever, that they to survive, you need to be getting European money. And Shamrock Rovers have guaranteed them that themselves that again for the next couple of years, and that's how they can keep developing their. Um, their underage squad because that costs money. Now, Dundalk, you are dead right. We were talking about Dundalk earlier on here and uh, that getting involved with uh, that American investors was probably the worst thing that ever happened because Dundalk, in my book, were probably one of the best sides that we had ever produced in the League of Ireland back some years ago. Go ahead, Brian. They were were a hugely impressive team um, under Stephen um, Kenny. And they uh, were, I think, even better when they did get to the group stage. They were even better than how Shamrock Rovers are doing and and actually looked like they might come through the group stage, which would really be uh, unheard of and a first for for a League of Ireland team. Um, But when you look at it now, uh, Dundalk, and I was up there this season um, for a game and... And even if you if you watch any of their games on the streaming service, the stadium is still um it, it's not nice. Nothing was done to us with all that money and all that success. And that's uh that's an absolute shame. It's a disgrace. You you'd imagine that some of that money would have been would have found its way into revamping the stadium because it's it's a very old stadium, quite run down, not a, aesthetically a, a very Pleasing stadium to, to look at or be in. It's it just needs 
something done to us and um they were in a the prime position to do that with European money um and and it just didn't happen and it's a, a real missed opportunity and now the club has gone backwards. They weren't um, really in the title shake-up this year. Derry City uh, have really become the main challengers to, to Shamrock Rovers. And it, it, it's a it's sad to see because um, you, you want your club to um, take advantage of, of those kind of riches. And when, when, when you see them just being squandered like that um, and not been reinvested it's um, if you're a dog fan i'd say it's it's quite hard to to live with to take that kind of disappointment uh, there's no doubt you're dead right there i mean it's uh, the the investment wasn't paid. I mean, I remember going to Dundalk years and years ago with Limerick and uh, it was a great place to go to for um, a match. Uh, I'm looking back at years when there was a fellow called Alan Fox, the manager, that's before some of your guys' time, I would imagine. But um, they were always a very physical side, big side, and I think that's what uh, Stephen Kenny had as well, a team with some great, solid very committed players and I remember reading an article by a strength and conditioning guy that was there with Brian and he said that uh, they were the first League of Ireland club he reckoned that bought into serious training at strength and conditioning proper training diet all of that stuff and that's what stood to them I think for the number of seasons how many was it five or six seasons that they were really at the top you know yeah it was it was six years or so so it was it was a significant amount of time and, um, you know, involvement in Europe every year. Um, and, and, and I think uh, it's spot on what was said earlier. Clubs like that need the European money because the money from winning League of Ireland is negligible in compared to um, the money, you guess, as prize money from being involved in European games. And the money you get from winning the FAI Cup—it's—it's it's peanuts compared to what clubs can um, pull in if they get to a group stage in the European, or even get through a couple of rounds and don't make a group stage. Um, so to have had those kind of riches and and such a good team, and then to not kind of have a, a lasting reward or, or investment made from that era is um, it's sad like i mean it's it happens that great teams break up and managers leave and that but to have had those kind of times and not to have had a, a, a an investment from it a, a, something put back in that that would you know kind of help the club going forward instead they still have a stadium that's out of date and um, they're quite far away from the standard of, of Shamrock Rovers and Derry City now. So uh, it's a pity. It, I just wonder, possibly in the family tree, could there be second relations to the Glazer family that are with Manchester United and the, the crumbling stadium that, that Old Trafford is now? Can I move it on, uh, please, uh, Brian, to uh, Bray Wanders and how your beloved Bray are getting on? And also a little bit of a, a quick review on uh, Damien, Duff's, Damien Duff's first season in the, uh, the Premier League in League of Ireland. Um. Bray this year finished third bottom of the, the first division, which was a disappointment, but 
at the start of the year, we'd had a merger between ourselves and Kevin Teeley, and it, it was really at the very start of the season, so there was no time to, I suppose, um, try to um, get used to the new setup or whatever was straight into the season. So this year was always very much going to be a, a one of just, just surviving, just get through it. We, I never felt we were going to be in the mix for, for promotion and kind of that's how it panned out. So it's really going to be about next year and maybe trying to um, mount a promotion challenge then. So we live in hope. Um, uh, the the strength this year for us has really been the underage setups because that's really what Kevin Teeley brought to the, to the merger. Um, and uh, at the weekend there, we, had, we were in the semi-final of an under-14 uh, League of Ireland. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, the club is strong at an underage setup. Um, we, we were still playing out of the Carlisle grounds, which was really what Bray brought to, brought to the merger, like a, a, a stadium of that quality and, and the location of it. So the seeds are there for a successful future and um, but just this year it was just too soon after the merger for, for anything real really really good to happen so hopefully next year and um, Damien Duff for me has been uh, an inspirational figure to, to follow throughout the season um, and I screamed the Shelburne Derry City uh, game at the weekend um, just to, to see him on the sideline the, the passion how he's totally invested in in the moment like it's it doesn't matter what wealth he has or what he's done in the game he's there living every ball kicked like every other Shelburne fan that travelled to that game and really committed um, really brought Shelburne up to a different level um, they were kind of bouncing between the two divisions for, for a number of years and they came up under Ian Morris and then they went down um, and now they've come up, but they've stayed up and stayed up quite comfortably. And you could you could actually see them um, moving on and maybe challenging for a European position uh, next year. They've they're, they're kind of about to overtake Bowes, I would say. Um, you know, they could really be be up there with say where St Patrick's Athletic are. Um, but playing very good football, very. Um, very exciting team to watch. Um, uh, very, very good tactically. Sets them up different ways for different games, depending on the circumstances of the match. Um, and just, uh, just such an inspirational character to have around. And I think for the league as a whole to have someone of that caliber come in and um, want to get involved and get fully immersed in it. Um, it's just been brilliant. Um, uh, there was there was talk for a while when um, Keith Long left Bohemians late in the season that Richard Dunn might come in to manage Bowes, which if that had happened, um, again, he would have had someone of that international renown with primarily experience across the water coming in. Now, it didn't happen in the end, but it just shows you that um, our league is, is capable of attracting people like that. And, and when it does, it's, it's to, the, to the, the betterment of, of the whole league. It's not just the club. In this case, Shelburne have obviously benefited enormously. But just the, the standing of the whole league um, rises when you, when you see something like that happen. But 
definitely for me, Damien Duff has been one of the best things about this season. Just his whole personality and persona and commitment to it has just been hugely impressive. I'm going to bring Luke in there now in a second. Colin Healy uh, winning the first division with uh, Cork City, former Irish international as well. Luke, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's uh, very encouraging and reassuring to hear Brian sort of talk about the duffer like that because I can only but compare that to Robbie Keane and his 250000 a year that he was getting off the FAI. And I said, Damien Duff... We say mightn't have scored as many goals as Robbie Keane, but he was a more successful international or uh, professional soccer player, in my opinion, uh, than what Robbie was. And to see a man that invested in his local his local league is very much admirable. And it sort of brings me on to the topic I want to talk a little bit about because I'm the pessimistic skeptic amongst everyone here, Brian. And I go yeah. to bring I go to bring us on to FAI finances. And just earlier today, I, I see that uh, Umbro are no longer going to be the sponsor of uh, the, the national jersey. Uh, that that arrangement is coming to an end. Uh, another year, another campaign, and I'm going to leave it to the boys to talk about sort of uh, the football inside of things. But I'll be talking about off the pitch. No title sponsor still. Uh, have you heard any murmurings? Or like uh, you could say maybe to a way, no news is good news in relation to the you know the the actions of the FAI, but the, the financial elephant in the room of the debt that they have is still there, and there doesn't seem to be any great hope, especially with the draw for the the next campaign that they've got that we say we'll be going to any tournament anytime soon, unless something big happens. Uh, any idea of how things stand financially with the FAI? Um, I'd I'd be concerned um, that that there isn't really any any good news coming out, and um, I did hear some uh, murmurings of discontent uh, attributed to the FAI um, in response to the the, the hand that our uh, women's team were dealt uh, in the draw for the World Cup next year, kind of murmurings of discontent about the amount of finance it's going to take. Um, been a, a, the tournament in Australia. Um, the group we're in, Group B, you know, it's going to involve um, traveling through 8,000 kilometers in 11 days, three different time zones. And so, you know, that would that would kind of stretch the the finances of 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 a, the casual fan going over, but certainly for the um, organization and the association of of the country, um, that's going to present them a challenge. And I did hear some some murmurings of discontent about what that's going to cost. Now, yeah, I, 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 sorry, Brian, can I just sorry. interrupt you there for a minute? Like, yes. to to hear any mutterings in relation to that, in my opinion, is as as uh, Johnny Giles would have said, or Dunphy would have said before, is a disgrace because it's only a few years ago that those ladies didn't have the capability to have their own tracksuits, and what they have done in the intervening time. Uh, which is a topic that the lads will sort of discuss in a minute. For a financial side of things to be raised in relation to that just shows, I think, that the FAI are still not at the races. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the FAI sort of joined in in throwing the the ladies under the bus after the... um, 
the video was tweeted of the the dressing room and the the singing, um, uh, and whatever it costs to give those uh, girls the the absolute best conditions and best opportunity to try to deliver in such a tough group, host nation, Australia, Canada, one of the best women's teams in the world, Nigeria, the best women's team in Africa. Um, we need, those girls need every support possible in terms of finance. They need the best of preparation, the best of hotels, travel, and they fully deserve it. I totally agree with you. They've really done us proud. Um, this is a, a brand new chapter for our women's soccer team. It's like back in 1988 when um, the, the men's soccer team got through to the Euros and then 1992 World Cup. New territory, new chapter, um, and they delivered and they rose to the occasion. And I believe this team is capable of um, progressing even further than how well they've done to, to qualify. Um, but they really need uh, the support of the organisation. They'll be guaranteed the support of the football fan in the country. Um, uh, we'll be absolutely following every every kick in that tournament um, because it's just such an uh, exciting achievement. Um, but they need to be backed by uh, proper resourcing, um, the best of resourcing, because they deserve nothing less than, than the best. I'm going to bring um, Jim in because he's used to the best. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the, the thing that I feel, I, I'm a bit surprised that there would be any, uh, <clears throat> uh, on whatever you call it, discussion or even, because I feel at the moment that this uh, women's team under Vera has done a tremendous job for the profile of the game, but they've also given the country a massive lift. And you spoke there about the Jack Charlton time, and we all remember that. I would have thought that it wouldn't take a genius of a marketing person to raise whatever sponsorship is necessary for that team because of the goodwill that is there towards them. Now, I would be very surprised uh, that, the, and I would think Vera is such a strong woman that she will not accept second best for that team with regard to preparation or the planning for the tournament in Australia. Now, I did look at the games today and it, it is mind-boggling and I have never been to Australia, but I would feel that any of the better marketing people in this country uh, would raise so much money for to fund everything that that team wants and needs. So I think I'd watch this space very clo closely because I think somebody is going to say, hey, guys, either get off the pot or let somebody else deal with this because Vera needs and the team needs all the support can get. I think, Jim, you sort of said that you hit the nail on the head. It would be, hey, guys, get off the pot. I think you need to bring a few decent women in <laughs> to sort of try and run the show. Well, I mean, we have a new CEO running the Clare GA for the first time, God knows how many years, and it appears already she has uh, made her presence felt. Um, now, she's out of uh, UL, where she worked on some stuff. There is some tremendously able people out there, uh, both male and female, that would be capable of raising very quickly the money and this needed for this. Now, there is no doubt that the FAI is not making any inroads into the debt, uh, but I'm not expecting the girls to do that. I think that's up to the organisation themselves. 
I, absolutely, Jim. But you know, and Brian, I, we, we've sort of discussed it before. You know, and and it has been muttered at various stages that, uh, you know, for if you start to think that the men's national team is where the main majority of their financial income technically comes from, and they don't have a title sponsor, so you start of asking the question: Are they asking too much? Or is it just that the men's national team isn't what it should be? Well, we know results-wise they're not really as it should be, and that's a whole other debate that that can that can start in a few minutes. But surely, with the upheaval that has taken place in the FAI at the minute, the financial side of the thing has to be number one priority. And any sponsor, even say if they're looking for five or six million a year or over a three-year period, if they took a little bit less money it would be a title sponsor, you know? I, I think it's, yeah, it's a combination of both those factors. They're, they're probably going to have to accept less money, um, significantly less money. And also, in the, the main reason why we're at that position is because the, the men's team aren't doing as well. Um, but that's the situation we're in. You need to get a sponsor in, and I think it's good that the conversation has been had now, just after we've qualified for, for the Women's World Cup, um, and it's still a good bit in the future, about money and finance, and, and saying, listen, if the FAI can't get the money, then let's get sponsors, let's get whatever way it can be financed, but let's say it now that we want the best um, resourcing available for for Power and her team because um, it's just such a, a significant achievement. It's it's as it's been said um, here already. It's given the entire country such a lift at a time when we really need it. Um, you know, the, the men's World Cup is on this year. We're not in it. You know, we we watch it all the same, but it's it's not the same when you're. They're not actually in it. Whereas um, the the women's Euros was on this summer, and it was such the standard was so high in it. Um, and to think that we're now in an even better tournament, the World Cup, um, and and we we've qualified, we're, and we're at that standard. We've we've progressed the women's game here um, through the dedication of of the the clubs and. Um, the, the players and that this is going to be something that will inspire even more girls to take up soccer and will, will hopefully help um, bring on um, the Women's National League to, to the next level um, so it, it needs to be said now that um, you know the, the best has to be done for them and, uh, and will be Speaking about the soccer side of things that night in Hamden Park um, equated to any of the big nights that the senior men's teams have had. I was on holidays in Lanzarote, and this will tell you the difference between the men's and the ladies' teams. I trawled, um, how do you say, downtown Lanzarote for an Irish bar that was showing the women's international, and they were all showing Celtic against Leipzig, I think it was on the night, the Champions League. I, I only found one Irish bar, Decky Dillon's, that actually showed the Irish game was that it was network too. And basically there was about seven lads from Monaghan inside and myself watching the game. Now, if that was a senior men's team and they were going to qualify for the World Cup, every part, what's called every bar would have been packed. 
packed to the rafters to watch the Irish team. So there's a big difference still from a point of view of the popularity of the women's game. But as a, as a whole, the women's game internationally has come on. Both England winning the Euros was a massive, massive achievement. And now with Ireland qualifying. So from this side of the hemisphere, it's all positive from a point of view of the women's game. Well, I mean, you saw that Wembley was full. Full. And yeah. the Irish team... Uh, and sorry? Uh, sorry, go ahead there. And, of course, uh, the, uh, uh, what you call the Irish team has played at, uh, at uh, Tala, and they feel that as well. Now, they want that to be declared their home pitch, rather, which... What's the capacity of Tala? 12,000? Uh, about about 10,000, just over that, maybe. So that just shows you there is massive support for them. There is absolutely and, uh, massive support. I, I, I would be inclined to think that uh, any good professional marketing person would have no problem selling the, that team in the sense of maybe that doesn't sound right, but to make sure that Vera Powell was able to get and do whatever she wants. Because I think she's an incredibly professional uh, manager and she has handled that team so very well. I was very impressed with her. I don't know what uh, you think, but do you remember that incident or that problem she had with the family, the Donegal girl? Yes, yes. yes. And uh, she stood her ground on that, and a lot of people were inclined to support. I can't remember the girl's name. Her father played League of Ireland, if I remember rightly. And, uh, like, Vera stood her ground when there was a bit of criticism and a bit of uh, whatever, and I thought... You know what? It now has come that Vera is as right, and that girl's career has gone down the tubes because she was. A, she thought she was better than, and her father did as well. It appears that she was better yeah. than she really was. And I mean, no, the, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Uh, Vera has all the ingredients of uh, just a, a top class um, European or world manager, um, somebody who has the technical knowledge in abundance has very good people skills very good media skills but also somebody who the players will go out onto the pitch and give their all for and you know like if if we don't have somebody of the right caliber in your own country to do a job you you, you go and you get in um uh, somebody from abroad to do it um and that's just uh, that's just good sense at, at a business level, but also in, in sport, um, whether it's a coach or technical director or whatever role it is. If you can get somebody of a very high caliber, um, you don't not appoint them just because they're not Irish or not English or whatever country you're talking about. Um, it, it, it's just you know you have to do the best. You have if you if you have a chance of getting somebody of that caliber, you just have to go and and do it. And I'm so delighted that um, she was put in the position and has proved to be such a success. And we're really lucky to to have her. And I think we're going to enjoy uh, supporting her and her team uh, next year. Can I ask you something there that you probably because her name when you were talking about her there when we were talking about the FAI has Packy Bonner taken up his role yet? That I don't know actually. Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, I, I haven't heard uh, an, an, anything on that front. What what role was that, Jim? That he was to take? He up? was to, he was to, he was appointed. 
last year to the board. Of the FAI? Of the FAI. Okay. As a, I'm not, no, it wasn't technical director, which was the position he held before. Um, and I, I just can't remember, but I know that he was appointed. He was expecting, because I, uh, I've known Packy a number of years. Okay. And uh, he used to spend a lot of time in Clare with us back in the day when he was uh, whatever technical director um, and I felt that if you had Packy out there uh, as a whatever you like to call it I, I don't know what the job they're looking at but uh, Packy had so much goodwill as well and I mean he's an incredibly uh, articulate well got guy he would be a man to head up looking after the women's financial aid <laughs> that and he'd be the kind of, he'd be the kind of guy that um, people would listen to and people would take note of and people would identify with and um, he'd be the right kind of person to be in the media and and yeah. talking about things and uh, just uh, he's such an iconic figure but he's he's such a, a, a well liked character and a trusted character like I mean. Uh, he should be used. I think you. I think. I think you put your finger on the pulse when you say uh, a trusted character. That's what we all need in any organisation is trust. I'm just going to move it on uh, very quickly because we've got about five minutes left in the in the show, Brian. Um, I just like to to cross channel for a second because there's been lots of different ups and downs between um, lots of the, the the big clubs that a lot of Irish fans would would follow. We have Liverpool, Manchester United. Uh, of course, there's, there's so many Man City fans now as well. Um, what's called Haaland has has made an incredible impact in the Premier League. We have probably a little bit of a decline in Liverpool with some of their players in relation to uh, Mane leaving, Van Dijk getting an awful lot of criticism as a centre back, and of course uh, our favourite pantomime villain of all, Cristiano Ronaldo, who uh, walks off stage whenever he feels like it. Um, any thoughts on how the Premiership has started? And I'll start with you, Brian, and then I'll go on to Jim. Um, it's. It's going to be an interesting season because of the World Cup break. So I think um, it's it's good that you know Arsenal are up there, uh, Man City aren't running away with us. And if it stays like that for another couple of weeks, it will. Then you're going to be going to the World Cup break with it's still all to play for. And when it resumes after the World Cup, a lot is going to depend on which team, which squad has gone farthest in the World Cup, which players are, are you know, more tired, going to need more rest after the World Cup. Um, and then when you, you think of, you know, Man City, Liverpool, teams like that going to be uh, involved uh, deep into the season in, in Europe, Arsenal too, um, that you're going to have various, things like that coming into the mix. So I think it could be quite an open uh, Premier League uh, campaign. I think Man City, uh, their focus is, is definitely on the Champions League this year. I think they really have to deliver a Champions League win. Um, so in terms of the Premier League, you know, Arsenal may may not hold on, but I think um, Chelsea could, could still be in the mix. Tottenham... Even Manchester United, like I think it could be quite an open competition, quite a 
different from before where you've just had Liverpool and City. Um, Haaland, for me, though, has been the, you know, such a a joy to watch. And um, it's funny that we mentioned Ronaldo because at one point, Ronaldo was the, the player and he was winning the Ballon d'Or every year. You know, Messi, but, you know, they, those guys are uh, a bit cruel to say past this, but past their best, whereas Haaland, you know, watching somebody who's really coming into the best years, the best seasons of, of uh, his career. And you look at him and he just has everything. He has the the power, the height, the the flexibility of him, the shape of him. He's just, he's like somebody um, designed the, the ultimate footballer or something and, and, and he's what came out. And he's delivering, like, you, 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 whether you're watching the Man City games or, or even if you're just watching highlights on, on Match of the Day to the amount of goals he's putting away to, to look at his heat map after a game and it's just the perfect heat map for a striker he's either in the centre circle or in the six yard box um, he just looks invincible he just looks uh, he's delivering like wh- whether he can maintain that over season after season the way Ronaldo and Messi did at their best okay that's we can't predict that but, but right now he's the man he's in the Premier League, he's delivering. Um, I think him delivering City a, a, a European title is is probably what um, Pep Guardiola is is banking on, is most focused on this year. So the Premier League is probably going to be um, their kind of uh, second behind that in terms of their aspirations. And I think that and the the way the World Cup is 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 going to be in the middle of the season could help. Ha- point the direction of the the title maybe not going to City uh, Jim uh, we could talk about loads of things from Steven Gerrard being sacked to Eric Hallen to Ronaldo what are you going to focus on for the next couple of minutes uh, well uh there's no doubt that I, I'm terribly impressed with what Arteta has done with Arsenal this year. I think he made a couple of very influential signings, including Jesus or Jesus from Man City and that full back as well. Um, I think he has two, which they didn't have up till this. They have two very good, strong centre backs. They're not inclined to roll over the way they did. And uh, I think Arsenal, now I was a bit surprised that Southampton took a point, they took the, the uh, drew with them yesterday, but uh, no team. Every team in the Premier League at the moment and in the bottom half, they're fighting for survival. The managers are fighting for their jobs, so there's no easy points out there. Now there is no doubt that uh, Haaland has made a hell of a difference, and he is surrounded by, in my book, some of the best players that we've ever seen in De Bruyne. And the other player that I really very uh, like is uh, Silva. I think Silva is uh, a really serious player. And uh, Foden, I mean, he's only 21, 22 either. Um, like, you know, they seem to be playing with uh, something. There is no doubt that um, the manager at City has an incredible way about him and he must be one of the best coaches, managers around. And I think Arteta learned a lot from him. Now, the other manager that I'm very keen to support and watch is Eddie Howe. I think Eddie has done the tremendous job at Newcastle with all the criticism and about the Saudi money and all of that, which really for normal fans and that is not a business here or there. And I think he has done a great job and getting the three points out of Tottenham yesterday was really a massive test for them 
and they did it. Agreed. Definitely. One of the most uh, underrated managers probably in the league. And of course, when his time with Bournemouth, as I said, he was there for about three or four seasons on, on a very small budget and he kept him in the Premier League and then he lost his job eventually, but he was he was bound to come back. Yeah, we're, we're virtually out of time on uh, this special edition of our lock-in. Uh, Brian Quigley, thanks a million for joining us all the way from Dublin tonight. And uh, again, great to get your insights into the League of Ireland. And we didn't we didn't talk about your favourite topic in the world, Stephen Kenny. We didn't talk about that. <laughs> we didn't talk about, um, how do you say, all sorts of bits, but that's the way it goes. You didn't want to talk about any songs being played. Uh, in yes, yes. You never know what you're going to add into the to the mix Luke when we're when we're done. Listen, uh, good night to you, Brian. Thanks a million for joining us and uh, we'll talk very soon. Thank you. Great Brian to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I did that. We're not going to put you up. You haven't given us the quality that we deserve tonight. Um, but yeah, as again, there's so much to talk about in today's football world, and an hour just doesn't cover it. There's no doubt that uh, the I think the World Cup will have a big bearing on. It's really about clubs now, and who has the least number of players involved in the World Cup. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, all I can say is thanks a million for everyone tonight and uh, join us this weekend. And uh, we'll look forward to a very exciting World Cup without uh, Ireland, unfortunately. But you will be able to look across the water and we'll be able to slag them off anyway. Listen, take care of yourselves from the lock-in, our special football show for me, Tom Botcher, Lou Fleming, the wonderful Jim Madden and Brian Quigley, our knowledgeable guru from Dublin. Thanks a million until we talk again.